Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hello everyone, it's Michael McNutt with Weedy. This is an excerpt from a recent Weedy Health Equity Workgroup meeting, a presentation on physician data and its link to health equity. Our guest, Tammy Weaver, Vice President of Physician Professional Data with the American Medical Association. Thank you, Nancy. Um, so AMA has actually been collecting um, demographic practice, educational data on physicians since 1906, so well over a, a hundred years. Um, and that inform- that data is used for all types of things. A lot of, a, a big piece of that is workforce analysis. So understanding the physician workforce, understanding the projections for the physician workforce moving forward. So um, we have been, and what Nancy had asked me to do is give you an update on the work that we're doing specifically with the AAMC, so the Association for American Medical Colleges, who you normally think about for medical school and understanding the students that are in um, allopathic medical schools, um, and then the Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education, so ACGME, um, who you think about for accrediting uh, graduate medical education training here in the U.S., Um, And so our three organizations, you know, over the last several years, there's been a huge focus on health equity um, without a lot of great benchmarks on kind of where we're at. Um, So there's been a huge focus on how to get the foundational or underlying data that is necessary to start benchmarking and start understanding where we're at for diversity and inclusion and, and equity and equitable outcomes. So our three organizations got together it's probably been two years ago now, um, with the goal of coming to an agreement on how we're going to collect that data so that we could have um, consistency in how those things are measured. So across the student universe, the resident universe, and the physician universe into practice. Um, And we focused in a a few areas. Um, So we started with race ethnicity. We are also looking at and committed to doing the same for language proficiency and then sexual orientation and gender identity. And and I always like to say it's like herding cats because it really is. The three of our organizations getting together and um, with the goal of deciding on a a consistent standard. So what values are we going to use? What categories are we going to use for that data? How are we going to roll that up? How are we going to aggregate that so that when we're presenting statistics publicly, how are we going to do that aggregation? So it's 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 a it's a not an insignificant amount of work that that we're doing. That's sort of phase phase one, and I'll kind of go into where we're at with each of those here in, in, a, in a moment. The phase two is we have this idea of creating what we're calling a collaborative. So it becomes a physician data collaborative in that other organizations can participate. Um, So how do we then not only collect the data, but develop guardrails on how that data can be used and who can have access to that data for meaningful research that helps advance work in this area and space. And so we're, we're working on that as well. So before I go into the specifics of kind of where we're at with each of them, I, I want to see if there's any questions on just um, the work um, as I've described it with AMC and ACGME from anyone. So do, do physicians sort of have to opt in or respond to survey data or do you use imputed data? Like how does that, how does that work? Cause I'm, I'm, I'm in this world all the time with patient data. So I'm interested. 
So it is all reported by the individual. So we're not doing any kind of um, derivation or deriving it. So um, uh, we collect it in a couple of places. So it's collected upon um, application to medical school. It's collected again when they're going into GME, so graduate medical training. Um, and then, and, and that's a gap we found because then none of our three organizations are collecting race, ethnicity, for example, past that. So once they've left GME, so as categories change, nobody has an opportunity to come and update that. So we've recognized that as a gap. And so that's something that we're working on closing now is providing folks the opportunity to, to update that. And that most likely is going to fall on us. The so AMA. it doesn't do it when they update their accreditation or the licensing or they go for, you know, uh, renewal of licenses. They don't do it then? We don't pull it in then. So they may be doing it with the licensing board directly, but we're not doing you it. You don't have that data, I get. Right, right. Other questions just on the collaboration with WMC and ACGME. So, so where we're at, like I said, we focused on race ethnicity first. And we are in the process and we're hoping within the next probably two months that we're going to be able to make a public announcement and push out um, the categorization that we have aligned on. Um, it's largely in line with what we're seeing from OMB um, and it's largely how we've been collecting data for years. So we have a category subcategory. Um, um, so where we're like, we'll have an Asian subcategory with additional subcategories underneath that. Um, we have recently added Middle Eastern North African. So we piloted that for a year and took a look at the data and how much of it was coming in. And so we have added that as a category as well. And we actually had a directive to do that at the AMA. Um, and then we're looking at ways on how um, to further disaggregate things like um, Pacific Islanders and, and American Indian, where um, the majority of time individuals are choosing multiple categories. Um, and so when you report out that um, uh, multiple race ethnicity, it's sort of getting lost in, in the mix there. So we've also come up with a, um, a standard that the three of us are going to agree to on how we disaggregate that data and how we present that data out so that we aren't losing those individuals when we do um, aggregation. So that is just about done. They're putting the final touches on writing up the whys, you know, where we differentiate from OMB, which is kind of really the only other standard we've seen here, why we're differentiating from it, um, and then pushing that out to the industry and really inviting industry feedback as well as industry to use that categorization, um, um, you know, as, as they deem acceptable. Um, questions on race ethnicity? You know, it must, it must sometimes present a challenge when a a new category appears because now you almost have to infer what they previously would have put. So, you know, if you see, like, for instance, maybe you now are having subcategories under Asian. So maybe some is going to be of Indian descent or some other categorization. Now you might see a spike and you might see, well, is that because more doctors from that ethnicity are appearing or were those people that previously were using a different category? Right. Right. And there's no good way to benchmark that or measure that. Right. It's because no, it's, always, it's always <laughs> going to be point forward. Yeah. yeah. From, from, from personal experience, my whole life, I've never known what box to check for myself. So who knows? <laughs> well, and that's, we're trying to put some governance rules in place too, which is like, okay, how often 
because you don't want this changing like every six months, right? So we're looking at how often should we commit to reevaluating, assessing, and then determining um, what changes need to be made. Right now, we're leaning towards it shouldn't be done any more frequently than every three years, um, but we have not landed on that. Um, you know, we haven't made that official yet. And, and Tammy, um, it's Robert here. Uh, do, are the data elements required to be answered or are they optional? And if they're optional, are you seeing any sort of folks say, no, I'm not, I don't want to uh, share that, that data with you? Yep. So that is a, is a great question. So right now it's a required field, but in that required field, there is the I prefer not to say. Right. So it's essentially optional because you're given that um, option. And what's really interesting. So we have um, a group at the AMA. One of our sections is minority affairs. And um, that group is passionate about collecting race, ethnicity data and disaggregating the data appropriately. Yet um, that governing council often has shared that they're not comfortable. Um, like they would always de um uh, migrate towards the I'm not going to tell you, even though um, they believe it's really important. So I think that that um, that's something else we're looking at. Like, how do you ensure that folks are comfortable with you having this data all around, you know, what you're representing, how you're going to use it? Exactly. We, I will yeah, say we you. have good fill, fill rates, though, um, for the data that we're given. The vast majority of people are are um, designated. They've been able to designate an array value, some multiple values since 2013 in our systems. Prior to that, you had to choose one, which you know represented all kinds of problems. Um, and so we've been supporting array values for quite a while. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay, if no other questions on that, I'll move on to the next section. So um, sexual orientation and gender identity. So this is one that both the AAMC and AMA have been collecting. So AMA has been collecting that data um, for about four years now. We have about 50,000 physicians that have, um, and that is completely optional. It is in our account management center. Someone can come in and, and the whole rationale behind it, it was a resolution in our house of delegates that said we needed to better understand the physicians that we were representing. Um, and so we started collecting that data. We worked with a number of organizations um, and experts in that field to, um, to design our questions and how we're asking them and the categories on which that we're making available. And I'm happy to provide that to this group if that's of any interest to folks. Um, AMC collects that data differently. So um, this is one where we're just beginning to start to compare the two of those and figure out how we get on the same page with um, both how we're asking the question and how we're categorizing that information. Um, AMA does not release that data at all today. So we do release race ethnicity for specific um, uh, research studies, so for research only, but we do not release um, the SOGI data at all to any third parties, and it's under lock and key at the AMA, and it is really just used in an aggregate fashion for the AMA to better understand the, the physician workforce. Um, so we, I, I'd like to say, I think we'll have um, uh, ironed this out with WMC by the end of the year. That might be me being really optimistic. It might go into 2024, um, but that is work that's kind of next up on the docket. Um, questions on SOGI? No? Okay. Um, the, the next category that we are working on, and actually we're, we're, I think, pretty close to having this one finalized, is language proficiency. 
Um, this was also a resolution that we got through the House of Delegates that um, a lot of folks collect language spoken, which is different from language proficiency. And so we were asked to start collecting language proficiency, which we've not done yet. We've been asked to identify a standard and collect it. So we did a report that looked at all of the different standards out there. The one that was recommended to us was, I think it's called the Modified IL-7. And um, we are in the process of, WMC again does collect this data and we are working with them to, um, we're making some minor tweaks to it. So I think we're doing a combination of what WMC has traditionally done um, with some of the aspects that we're picking up from this standard um, and are very close to agreeing on how that's gonna be collected. And then the next step for us, um, for the AMA is that we need to start collecting as part of the mandate that we were given by the House of Delegates. So I anticipate we'll be in a position that we'll start collecting that data um, most likely in late 2024 or 2025. Um, and any questions on language proficiency? Would you, I'm already thinking ahead, would you think that one of the ways in which that data could be used, and now I'll show my the reasons for my interest um would you think one of the reasons for having that data and making it available would be that payers can make available to their members that want to do provider search and may want to say hey i'm looking for somebody in my county that can treat this particular condition and preferably you know speak spanish or something like that or have some proficiency in that and if so would that be something that would be a use case that you would think would make sense to make that available to providers to help in provider search? I do think that that's a use case that makes sense. And at a minimum, I think so. Like, um, are you familiar with CAQH? With which one? Um, CAQH, Council for Affordable Quality Healthcare. No. So they're what I consider a front door for payers. So about 850 payers use them as the front door on um, a physician who's going to enroll with a payer. So there's a ton of information that they collect. And so one of the things they collect today is language spoken. And so at a minimum, like we're already in conversations with them to say, hey, could you maybe consider updating that question to be language proficiency, which would be more meaningful than language is spoken um, for patients. So, uh, so I do very much see that as a good, as a good use case. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, just just to build on that, because I had exactly the uh, the same uh, question. Um, one of the challenges here is exact. I think where where you were going, Tammy, is uh, people define um, la language in a different way. You know, can you speak it, but you can't write it? Can you somewhat understand it, but you're not you're not completely fluent. So maybe standardizing that and, and again, to get to the point of, so then uh, that data could be presented through the provider directories for the patient. So there, at least there'd be a standardized way of presenting that, that data to, to the patient. Absolutely. Um, and I'm trying to pull up a document here. If I see if I can pull it up really quickly, it'll kind of give you a flavor of how we're looking at that. Um, so I'll just show you a quick example here. So you should be able seeing this document here. So this is an example of the work that we're doing right now. Um, Dr. Ortega is an expert in this field and she is working with us, with the, uh, the group she's actually working with ACGME now. 
but like here's an example of here's how it's um, native. Um, WMC today calls it native functionality, and then they have this description of I converse easily and accurately. ILR that relates to excellent speaks proficiently. Um, and so you can see like the edits that we're making over here where they're trying to pick up some of the, the best practices here so that right now it would land on this would be native, near native. I converse easily and accurately in all types. So, um, and this is like, once this is done, this is what we hope to push out to industry to say, hey, here's, here's you know, where we've landed with this stuff and, and invite folks to use, um, you know, these same definitions. Okay. I just have one question. Do you collect data on people who are able to do sign language? We do not today. And that hasn't come up as part of the language proficiencies. That's a great question. Okay. I can bring that back to our standards group that is talking about language proficiency. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I found that when I was doing nursing, like some, um, not a lot, but a few physicians were able to do sign language and it was really able to get to the patient really a lot quicker rather than having to try and find someone. And so I think it's a really good, um, you know, thing to know. Yeah, no, I think it's a great call out that fits right in that with, with that um, work. So I, I actually, I will bring that, definitely bring that back to them. Okay. The last one I would mention that it's related, um, but it's, it's more about operational procedures. So the other thing that we're looking at is what to do with um, gender and name changes when we have a transitioning physician. So we have a physician who's transitioning. Um, and let's say I, we actually just had an example of this, someone in between medical school and training. Um, so we're evaluating our policies and procedures on how we do that. So how do we keep how do we make sure that um, we don't lose any data integrity so that we're asking for the appropriate backups and documentations and things, but we're not making this unreasonable um, or inequitable for in individuals. So in this case, we had a physician who was transitioning between medical school and, and residency, attended medical school as a male and residency as a female and had literally three different names. I was seeing, we were seeing one name from the licensing board that was a combination of the male and female name. We had the female name. Another organization had the pure male name. Um, and so we are having some conversations again with a broad group of folks that include people like ABMS, FSMB, and the licensing boards on what type of documentation do you require. Name change is easy, right? We can require name change documentation. Um, um, but what kind of, kind of documentation or how are we going to treat gender in those cases. Um, I don't, we don't have all those answers yet. I'd be interested if there's any feedback from this group or if anyone else is looking at similar challenges, um, but that is another body of work that's on our plate for this year. Anybody else thinking about that or dealing with it? Nope. Okay. It, it's, it's a convoluted one, so I, I can appreciate that. Um, what, uh, what we're kind of seeing is that um, Folks either aren't, and we're seeing a number of organizations that are considering removing um, gender as a requirement um, and or merging gender and gender identity as some of the early feedback I'm getting from some of the other organizations. 
So that is all I had today. And I said, that's a high level of the work we're doing. Um, you know, uh, we're, we're actually really excited about this work. We think it has a potential to be really meaningful. Um, we're getting lots of calls from um, a number of different organizations on how should we collect this? Once we collect it, how should we protect it? How should we use it? So I think, um, you know, having this guidance from a collective of organizations will be very helpful. Excellent. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. Thank you so much. Incredibly helpful. Wonderful. So Nancy knows where to find me very well. So if, if I can provide anything else, um, I'm happy to do so. And thanks for the opportunity to talk about the work. This has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast where the healthcare IT communities connect, collaborate, and create solutions for a better health system. Find all our episodes as well as information on our association on our website, wedi.org. Thank you for joining us and be safe.